Hey, everybody, and welcome to week 14 of 52 Weeks of Empowerment. I am your host, Andrea Pagnosi, and I am fiercely dedicated to helping everybody in 2022 realize their true career potential because I am also a career empowerment coach. And as you know, this year, unlike others, people are understanding the diversification of who they are professionally. And according to an article in Medical News Today, a wide range of people, unfortunately, are also manifesting symptoms of what's known as imposter syndrome. The article describes the condition as a sense of being a fraud. It's not that you are a fraud, it's that you feel fraudulent in your behaviors and in what you bring to the table, fear of being discovered, possibly outed as somebody who's an imposter, somebody who is pretending to be something that they are not. And it's difficult to internalize success when you are faced with these feelings of inadequacy. While it's prevalent in women, more men have shown signs of this in recent years, and it manifests in different people in different ways. It affects and challenges people's perception of their self, but it also leads to tougher issues such as anxiety, depression, burnout, drug addiction, and many, many other things. And we talked about burnout just a few weeks ago with a fellow coach of mine, Melinda Dransfield. We talked about how she works with people in the workplace to overcome it. Today, we welcome another such person who is no stranger to imposter syndrome. His success in overcoming it or living with it, as we'll hear, is something that he helps people do on the daily as a trusted coach, advisor, consultant and teacher. For over 25 years, Jermaine Melton has worked with C-suite individuals, among others, in his Courage to Impact program and runs very successful campfire programs, which I hope we're going to get to today, which are really intimate groups of people that he coaches looking to transform their impact from dream to reality. Shermaine, welcome to 52 Weeks of Empowerment. Hey, Andrea, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So I'm going to preface this politically correctly and say, while I'm not happy that you have suffered from imposter syndrome by any stretch, I'm grateful for you to join today and for what you're doing as a coach, because imposter syndrome is something that you were brave enough to use a Brene Brown term to admit you suffered from. Yep. So tell us a little bit about your journey with imposter syndrome. Yes. Wow. Such a journey. I think this is a topic that any and everyone can relate to imposter syndrome at the earliest ages. I grew up, I have seven siblings and we grew up in poverty. And so we were the poor black family in the white middle-class neighborhood. So my earliest experience was with imposter syndrome was then I'm in this classroom. I think there was one or two other black families at the school. So at the early age, I felt like an imposter. I felt like I didn't belong. I felt like everyone else was smarter than I was. I felt like, who am I to be in this room with these other people? You know, I was young. That followed me really everywhere I went. It was really interesting, Andrea, because when I look back at my life, I always took the path that would make me an imposter. For example, I went to a high school that majored in computer studies. It wasn't the high school that I was supposed to go to. It was a different one. They had a different program for to attract different people. And so again, in high school, I went to this new high school. 
I had no friends, didn't know anyone in these computer classes. Same thing. I was the only one that looked like me in doing computer programming, really technical work. Same thing, imposter syndrome. I think about when I went to school, got my undergraduate degree, my MBA, and in really any spaces of growth that I place myself into, whether it's coaching or whatever to related to growth, I feel like an imposter. Do I belong here? Should I belong here? Even sometimes when I walk into a room and there are many, many examples that I have of feeling like an imposter and like I don't belong. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that this is learned behavior? Was this something from your, you had several siblings, you mm-hmm. were raised in a, a Christian home and you mm-hmm. were somebody who had a great deal of amazing growth experiences, mm-hmm. but do you feel this was something that you saw other people doing around you? No, as I think back to my childhood, I don't think so. For me, it was this internal feeling of, I didn't look at someone else and say, oh, I think they're feeling this kind of way. So I'm going to feel that kind of way. No, I didn't really reflect that from anyone else's feelings. For me, it was all internal. So Mm -hmm. it could have been based on, well, at a young age, as I think about it, looking around the room and for whatever reason, connecting people that look like me to not fitting in, to feeling like Mm -hmm. an imposter, to feeling like I'm alone, to feeling like I'm less than. No one taught me that. No one taught me that. It was a story that I created. Uh, I've created my own mind. It's true to this day. I asked that question because we've become a very virtual society and some of my clients that are experiencing imposter syndrome, they're saying similar to what you just said, while it's not learned behavior from the environment they grew up in, Mm -hmm. they looked around at their surroundings and said, that person's so much more deserving than I am. Why am I worthy? So it's interesting that even in a virtual framework, we can still jump to those conclusions. It's crazy. Yes, it it is super crazy. And this is a great topic. I I just uh, probably six months ago, I did a talk with the Peoria Chamber of Commerce and I'm doing a talk about courage for whatever reason. As I walked in the room, I began to feel this feeling of an imposter as I maybe it was because I was doing my talk that day or I was excited, but I began. It was just a feeling that uh, came over me. You know, do I belong? Am am I going to say the right thing? Are they going to think I'm smart enough, good enough, all that kinds of stuff as I walked walked in the room to deliver that speech. And so, yeah. It's an interesting dichotomy too, because you and I both are coaches. We're professional Mm -hmm. coaches. We went through the same program, ironically. And I don't know about your cohort, but my cohort consistently told me, Andrea, don't don't predetermine your niche, your niche in coaching. Let it find you. How did courage and imposter syndrome and this whole mentality, certainly it was very deeply personal for you, but how did it become your focal point with coaching? Yeah, that's a great question. I hired my own coach. And during our journey together, his name is David Vox. And during our journey together, we talked about hiding. We talked about some parts of my life that I was hiding. And throughout that process, I was able to live more of my truth, be more of who I was. And and my coach, I remember him asking me a question. He said, you've done a lot. Before I started working with my coach, I had told the world that I was black and I was gay and I was a born again Christian. And growing up as a Christian, being gay and being Christian are not, those don't get along. So so it it took a lot of courage for me to do that. And so my coach asked me one question. He said, how did you do that? 
Like, how did you muster up whatever you needed to, to do that? And I said, well, it took courage. And he says, oh, okay. So you're the courage guy. And he went into this other line of questioning is around why I was here, what my purpose was. And it was really to not only make a bigger impact, but help other people make an impact. And so that's where the name of my business came in, Courage to Impact, helping people get more courage and confidence so that they can make a bigger impact in the world. So yeah, so that's where that, that came from. Thank you for doing it because there's all too many people that need that courage to step out the way that you did, not just being gay, being Christian, being someone of color. There are a number of clients of mine that I know suffer from imposter syndrome. What is your ideal client at Courage to Impact? My ideal clients. So my people are tired of hiding, number one. They're tired of hiding and they want to, to use their voice or to use that part of them that's hiding. So, you know, for me, part of mine was uh, being gay, but, but I have a client right now who she's a brand new CEO and she's just really afraid or reluctant to use her voice. She doesn't want to say the wrong thing. She's very reluctant. My ideal clients, they want to be more courageous. They want to lean into that edge, that thing that they've been holding back. It's the thing that they know if they focused on that, their life would change forever. And sometimes that's what makes it really scary for them. I was just going to say, that's the terrifying part. Because once you're out there, you're out there. You can't take it back. It's a very public world. And we're in the midst of a cancel culture, a very serious thing that I just dealt with with a client. She's trying to look for a new job. Her job entails social media. So she's extremely active on social media. And as you well know, that is, once it's out there, it's out there. Yep. So you got to be super, super careful. I've had similar conversations with other people that are just very reluctant to use their voice. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that that's a sign of the times? And if so, what have been some of the techniques that you've shared with clients to try to get their voice heard? Great question. A sign of the times. I think this is something that's always been out there. So I think there's always been people who are afraid to be who they are whether that's sharing their voice or sharing parts of them because they're really good at being chameleons. They're really good at going into certain situations and saying, okay, who do I need to show up as? Who do I think they want me to be? And showing up as that. I think it's always been there. So that's what I do is help bring that out. When you have these people that are afraid to use their voice Mm -hmm. fervently, how do you get them out of that fear? You know, how do you get them to to speak openly and to stand behind what they say? Thank you. The only way is to do it. Mm -hmm. So what I tell my, (laughs) my, my clients is most of them, they want confidence to do something, either use their voice or whatever it is. But in order to, uh, confidence comes as a result of being courageous. It comes as a result of taking that courageous action and doing the thing that you're scared of. So to answer your question for my people, when they want to use their voice, I challenge them small in small ways. I challenge them to use their voice. It might be, it might be first by talking to themselves out loud in the comfort of their own home or in front of the mirror or something like that first, but speaking to themselves and then it might be speaking to a friend to really use their voice. We, we take these really small steps. And the fun thing about that is it helps build that momentum and it helps build that confidence slowly. And then we go on bigger and bigger stages, bigger and bigger challenges. And so, yes, that's, that's what I do with, with my clients. 
baby steps. Taking Mm -hmm. that first step is always the toughest. You've overcome imposter syndrome to a point. And I hope you give me the same answer as when you and I talked about doing the show. I said, how do you help people overcome imposter syndrome? And you, your answer was awesome. Do you remember what it was? I I do. And you don't, you don't, (laughs) in my opinion, you don't ever overcome that. It's always, at least for my life, it's always been there. Now, for me, the trick has been to recognize it. Oh, wow, I'm feeling like I don't belong in this room. I'm feeling like a fraud. For me, I was telling you about that speaking gig I did. That was the first thing I told the group. You know what? I'm feeling like an imposter right now. And I'm feeling like I don't belong in this room and, and like I'm going to mess up. And, and so I told the group this. I, was, I decided to be vulnerable. And then in that moment when I acknowledged it, then I felt a lot better. And it was one of the best, best talks that I gave. A lot of fun. It is. And it, it takes a village sometimes to feel that you aren't that imposter. And mm-hmm. how interesting it is that so many of them can relate. Mm-hmm. And if you hadn't said anything, nobody would have stepped forward. We yep. all do it very silently, very personally. And sometimes it's a result of how we became imposters, often trauma is that catalyst. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with clients where trauma has played a role in this syndrome manifesting itself? Yes, that's a great question. So I'm not a therapist. A lot of therapists, they they specialize in helping uh, their clients heal from past trauma. I do a small portion of that. Some small exercises I may do with them where around uh, journaling, uh, writing some things down to be able to let some things go. That's probably my big one is, is really around journaling, is really around bringing these things to the surface and then seeing how we can, how they can forgive themselves for it, whatever the it is. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness mm-hmm. and acceptance, I find, are the two things that human beings have a very difficult time making the leap to yep. without that type of introspective, it's not your fault conversation. Yep. When you're talking to people who haven't had this problem manifest through trauma, let's talk about the C-suite individuals. Maybe there is trauma underlying, but more than likely it's they've gone up the ranks really quickly and there's some sort of imposter syndrome that's holding them back from being their true selves. You just gave the example of that client who's afraid to use her voice. Mm -hmm. How does imposter syndrome typically manifest itself in these C-suite executives? Yes. And so it's, it's different. Each person is different. And with that client I was speaking about, for her, it was related to her age. And so, as you just said, she, uh, so she was promoted really quickly. She's on a board and everyone around her is older than her and seems to be kind of giving her advice on certain things and where she wants to use her voice. Really her big thing is around her age and feeling like she's not enough because she has got to learn a lot more before she can really truly be a CEO. One of the exercises we did is I said, don't you already have the job? She said, yeah. I said, well, what would it take to get fired? And she said, well, that's kind of an odd question. I said, yeah, what would it take? And she said, well, I'd have to do something really, really bad, which I would never do. I said, okay, so you're in this role. They trust you in this role and you'd have to do something really, really bad to lose this job. So what are you afraid of? Like, you're never going to do that thing. Led her to a place where she had this new awareness of, well, why am I so worried about this? 
They trust me. They know I'm capable. They've put me here for a reason. And that really changed, changed the trajectory uh, for her. And so she's, she's moving through that. Taking it down yeah. to its simplest quotient. I love it. In the years I trained salespeople, one of the best strategies to train somebody on a sales message is to record them mm-hmm. with their permission, of course, but we would videotape them and they would get terrified, like the day before the SAT terrified, sick to Mm. their stomach, breaking out in a cold sweat. And when you read some of the symptoms that manifest from imposter syndrome, it's very similar, sweaty palms, anxiety attacks, hyperventilation. And it's because I would imagine you're being judged by your peers. So you're feeling as though they're going to think I'm terrible. Yep. You're, you're projecting. And we talked a lot about this in our education as coaches, shifting energy, shifting yep. that great deal of energy you're putting into projecting. Yeah. <laughs> How do you repurpose that with imposter syndrome? Are there ways to uh, shift that energy? Yeah. I love what you said. I was thinking about you. It's the appearance of being judged. Yes. So it's the appearance of being judged. And so the way I like to have fun with it is let's the assumption of how you're being judged is what's that story you're telling yourself? Oh, I'm telling myself that the people are going to not think I know what I'm talking about, or people are going to think that I'm blah, 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 blah. And they would, my clients would list all these things and they were generally kind of negative things. And so to shift the energy, I say, let's, let's change the story. Let's create a new story. Let's create a story that's serving you. And so then I put them in their imagination and say, what if this was the best talk you ever gave? or the best whatever, best video you ever recorded, or the best sales pitch, what would, uh, what would that be like? What would that sound like? And I also have them, because you know I talk to them about courage, and I'll say something like, if you were your most courageous self, if you were courageous Andrea, and all you could do today is be courageous, what would that be like? How would you show up for that talk? And then that shifts their thinking like, oh, I would be this, I would do this, I would. And so then I help them focus and let's stay in that energy. So when you're about to give the talk, when you're about to record the video, when you're about to call that client, show up as courageous Andrea to uh, make it happen. So powerful. I mean, we always talk about it is 52 weeks of empowerment. So this mm-hmm. is the right show for this discussion. Yes. What happens when you've got an anxious client? Mm -hmm. And I'm anticipating that with your answer that you don't get over imposter syndrome, there's Mm -hmm. no time limit to somebody adopting these things. Mm -hmm. What happens when they are unemployed or Mm -hmm. they are really in a bad place Mm -hmm. career-wise? How does imposter syndrome manifest itself to the point where it may even be holding them back from the next phase? Yeah, so many different ways. When I, when I think about someone who's unemployed, some of those thoughts around, I'm not worthy to have this job that I really want. I really want this job, but there's no way I can get that job. So they start sometimes start spinning in their minds. Oh, maybe I could do this, but I don't really want to, or maybe this, but they're not going to like me. And what I see a lot uh, of sometimes is really the spinning and just their mind is going wild sometimes. Let's see, what are some other thoughts of imposter syndrome when, when people are unemployed, really around worthiness, really around, you know, who am I to apply for that job. I hear a lot of that. Well, I'm not really qualified to to do that. And I say, wait, hold on. Let's look at your resume. 
you've done this, 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 and this. And then, you know, when I bring it up, they're like, they think, oh, you're right. Actually, I have done those things. And so, yes, I really encourage them to try because the worst answer they can get is a no. Or no answer at all. Or no answer at all. And I think people wrestle with that. There's been so many people in the last, I would say it even started before the pandemic to some degree, certainly not in the sheer numbers, the droves that we saw people leaving the workforce and Mm -hmm. pivoting careers. Mm -hmm. Would you agree that it comes down to the narrative that people not just tell themselves, but once they start believing it themselves, they can then convey it to a hiring manager or an HR person yes. to convince them that even if it's an incongruent background, they can absolutely apply experience to this job. Have you seen that? I have. And it's interesting you say that because that's something I help my clients with. It's creating power, like a one-liner or two-liners that really speak to, to who they are as people. Most people, when they create a resume, the, the little paragraph at the beginning, it talks about skills. I got 10 years doing this and five years doing that. And I know all these skill sets, but what I, what I work with my clients on is let's create a powerful statement about who you are. You see these recruiters, they can read and they can, they can see the skill sets you have and they can see your experience. They can see all of that, but let's differentiate you. They hire people. They don't hire skill sets. So let's put a powerful sentence or two at the the beginning that really speak to who you are as a person, what you value, what's important to you and what you bring, not just the skill sets because they can read and find that, but who are you? So that's something that I do with my clients to really help them get through that. Do you find that in a corporate environment, sometimes it it can help foster an environment of imposter syndrome? Yes. When I was was in the corporate space, uh, my last role was a senior infrastructure engineer. So I worked in technologies and I, that's exactly what I did. I was responsible for the United States and Latin America. I had uh, maybe five or six engineers uh, reporting to me. So they were underneath me. And that's exactly what I did. I fostered this space where they could feel like they were a fraud, but I was there to support them. And we were there to support each other, to help each other through it. My goal was to help them build their confidence over time. And part of the way I did that was by making it okay for them to be themselves, to say, you know what? I really feel like an imposter right now. I feel like I don't have the confidence with this particular project. And I'd say, great, let's talk about it. It was great for me because I could understand what they were really struggling with, and then I could help them get what they needed. And to answer your question, yes, definitely creating a culture of imposter syndrome and where it's okay to be yourself is 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 critical, in my opinion. I think that's mm-hmm. the thing that's missing the, the boat for some people that are going through the interview process is that these are tough conversations to have. Certainly, you don't want to be exhausting the negatives of an organization mm-hmm. or, or the potential negatives that you may be feeling about yourself coming into an organization but it doesn't have to look like that. It doesn't have to exude that. What it needs to look like is, is this an environment, a culture that I'm coming into that's going to be supportive when, because I'm entirely human, you say this on your website, a perfectly imperfect human is going to have their great days. They're going to have their lousy days and they're going to have their in-between days. And I need to know that I'm supported there. How do they seek to find that type of culture? Mm, it's a great question. I was talk, talking to a client a couple of weeks ago about number one, doing your research. 
do your research first. If you want to go work for an organization, you know, research them, find out what is it like to work there. And so someone may ask, well, how do I find that out? Well, go on to LinkedIn. There's an easy way you can go on LinkedIn and you can search for companies and you can find people that work for companies and ask them if they'd be willing to have a conversation with you for five minutes about how it is to really work for the organization. So that's what I really encourage people to do is go find someone that works for the organization. That's not going to give you the fluff. That's going to tell you really how it is to actually work at the organization. They'll tell you the good, the bad, and then you can get a more informed decision. You know, talk to two or three people is what I always recommend. And also find someone who does the job that you're applying for. So, you know, ask them about the role, like, hey, what's the day-to-day duties of the, the job? Do you like it? What do you like? What do you not like? So in essence, you're interviewing someone who's already working for the organization. And I really recommend anyone who's really wants to get into a place that has a great culture, Go talk to people, not the recruiters, talk to someone who actually works for works for the organization and who will uh, be willing to really be honest and, and truthful with you about it. I mentioned at the start of the podcast, an article that I was reading in medical news today about imposter syndrome. And one of the key points that they made was that during the great Mm -hmm. resignation, people have alluded to the fact that they didn't feel supported in their culture. You started a business called Courage to Impact that does work with businesses to try to inspire them to create more of a supportive atmosphere. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So right now I work with with, uh, one-on-one with people. And I have a group program you spoke of earlier called the Courage to Impact Campfire. As I work with people either in the group or one-on-one, it's really about understanding who they are and where they want to be more courageous, where they want to be more confident. And for, for larger organizations, generally I'll create something for them. So whatever the organization needs. So if it's around culture and how to really build where people can thrive. My go-to is around trust. How do we, number one, understand what the trust level is like, and then build upon that with leaders in the corporate space? How often do you do one-on-one meetings, but not the one-on-one meetings where they're update meetings? How are you doing with this project? You know, uh, things of that nature, really for the leader to get updates on things. That's not what I'm talking about. So a a real one-on-one meeting is where the leader is asking questions to understand the person across from them. What do they love about the job? What do they hate about the job? What would make the job amazing to them? Where do they want to be in three years? Asking questions and building that trust. As you were speaking about earlier with the great resignation, most of the people that left their roles, they didn't feel there was a level of trust there. They didn't feel they had freedom. And there are all these different reasons. Really where I work with organizations on a whole is is building that trust, helping their leaders really grow their skill sets so that they can can create a place full of trust and, and transparency and where people feel seen and heard and valued and like they matter because when they feel that way, they don't go anywhere. That's the key that I've been trying to enforce for 14 weeks on the show. And I will continue (laughs) to bang that drum loudly, my friend, because 
it is really about the culture you work within as to what you bring to the culture. And when we're considering finding a job, we spend an inordinate amount of time selling ourselves Mm -hmm. to people. Talking about this very topic of imposter syndrome, hard when you're in that headspace to convince somebody that you are worthy of their environment. But frankly, I think it's time that organizations show how worthy it is for us to welcome that environment into our lives. Do you agree? I completely agree. You know, what really bugs me, I didn't plan on talking about this, but what really bugs me (laughs) is is, it's always funny when you preface it. What really bugs me is these organizations that have job openings, but posting, it's all about the organization. Here's the position. Here's the skill sets that we need. Here's the required experience. Here's all we need. But they don't talk about the company culture. They don't talk about the benefits. They don't talk about the PTO and vacation time and and sick time. They don't talk about what's in it for the employees to work for them. It's usually 90% of this is what we want. And if it's there, it's a small percentage of here's what we have for you. If it's there, it's very short. There's no detail to it. I find it really interesting on postings. Everything the business needs is super detailed, very detailed. But the other stuff of what's in it for the the person is very general, not detailed at all. So I completely agree. And I always encourage people when you're applying for the job, just as you said, Andrea, look at it as they need you. You don't need them. What I mean by that is come to the interviews with questions for them. Ask them about the culture. Ask them about the organization. Come ready with questions that you really want to know. Ask them about pay or whatever it is that you didn't see in the listing. Ask them about those things. It's okay to show up and and be courageous in in that interview and say, you know what? These are the things that are important to me. And they may say, oh, we'll talk about that on the next interview. But be courageous enough to get what you want out of the interview. It's not all about them. You can make sure you get what you want also. One of the most incredible questions that I heard recently It was a company and and they tend to explain away their culture by publishing ridiculous things like top 10 places to work in this very remote periodical you've never even heard of. (laughs) My client said to the individual, why does that matter to me? Mm. Tell me why you won. Mm. And I thought that was a pivotal moment in his courage. And he said, he finally got tired of it. And he said, listen, I have been on seven interviews with you. I clearly have done my part, but I have heard nothing about why you're one of the top 10 places to work. Mm. Share that with me. It was a very bold request, but in the end, it disrupted the flow of the interview and it made them come to the table. Yes. Courage breeds courage. It does. It does. It does. It's important. Yep. Very important. So tell me about how people can work with you. How do they get in touch with you? Yes. So the easiest way is uh, you can go to your browser. You just type courage to impact, courage to impact. And so that'll take you to my website. That'll take you to my online presence, uh, to my campfire, uh, courage to impact. Also, Shermaine Melton. Either way, you'll be able to find something about me, find an article, find Instagram, Facebook, everything is is available via either of those two. Yeah, so that's the easiest way to find me. Shermaine, you are a wealth of information. You've not just been able to successfully coach people out of this mindset, you've lived it, which is such an important aspect to what you do. Please keep doing it, my friend, because there are a lot of people out there that need 
your insight. Definitely. Thank you so much. It's really interesting, Andrea, that you say that because you're right. I didn't want to coach on something that I have not been through or not um, put significant work into. And so it feels really good actually to talk about courage and living your truth and not hiding anymore because gaining more confidence, because that was been my journey for a very long time. So it feels really good to connect courage to impact to me and my own courage and impact. So yes, yes, feels great. Well, it feels really good for me to connect you with our listeners. A lot of this imposter syndrome out there, I don't want to say it's needless. I want to say it's something that helps us grow. Anything we can learn from is something that can help us grow. And I've certainly grown from our conversation today. Thank you so much for joining 52 Weeks of Empowerment. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you to everybody listening. That's all we have for you this week. We'll connect with you next week. Same time, same place, more power.